Okay, so all I'm saying is that if it looks like a pie and it acts like a pie, a cheesecake is a pie. So can we all agree on that now? If I put a bunch of cheddar in a pie crust and throw it in the oven, does that make it a pie? Yes! That is by definition a cheese pie. Help me out here, Tommy. Sounds awful. <laughs> Just awful. Can you at least put some crackers in it or something? That That's a cheese it I mean, it's got a crust. It's kind of like a giant cracker. Welcome, everybody, to the Toe Meets Leather podcast. I'm Logan, and with me today... Our resident pastry chef, Andrew Rodriguez. How's it going, Andrew? You know, I'm glad you finally give me the credit that my office deserves as pastry chef. Yeah, no. You work hard for that title, man. And on the other end, joining us uh, from Georgia, uh, our long-awaited guest and also known as America's Gordon Ramsay, Tommy. How's it going, Tommy? You know, I was actually wondering... Uh, or thinking about today how I am the only person from our podcast left in the state of Georgia. And it honestly kind of bothers me a little bit. You should flee the state like we did, but probably under better circumstances. I don't know. I might wait. I might wait till global warming brings water into the state because that's going to happen. Is Florida still fighting us on this? That actually the Supreme Court decided on that today and they remanded it to the lower courts. So decided on it is quite in strong terms for what they decided. <laughs> yeah, they decided they weren't going to decide. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's that's the you know they remanded it with I think some suggestions to the the it's arbitrator like, whoever's maybe, handling it. Maybe y'all can decide this peacefully. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, city of Atlanta, bunch of shellfish. You tell me which is more important. Uh, I don't know. Let's not, let's not start that argument. It doesn't end well for people. Yeah, I don't know. I do like me some shellfish. So the oysters are tasty. Uh, as much as this conversation is probably much more entertaining than what we actually have to talk about today. Okay. At least it's not the Big 12. Okay, Tommy. Well, you've brought us on topic. So this week, we've come to the last conference out of the, the G5. G5. The G5, the five, uh, that we have not covered so far, and that would be the Sun Belt. So I'm not going to lie. I didn't do any research for this uh, event because I don't care. I do not care about the Sun Belt. There is nothing interesting in the Sun Belt for me. I have no desire to pay ESPN just for the right to watch the Sun Belt. So, Tommy, do me a favor because clearly you know a lot more about this conference than I do. Uh, why should I care about the Sun Belt? First off, um, it's kind of a, a good thing, I guess, that Artem's not here, because if he was and didn't have his headphones on, Amanda would probably tear your head off, because she's a Texas State alum. Uh, so there's one reason to care. Um, and <laughs> that's all the reasons I have. So basically, you're telling me... Don't piss off the, like, one Texas State fan on earth. Got it. All right. And Andrew, do you have a better reason here that uh, Tommy can provide? I don't, and I find it really interesting that the Sun Belt decided to go to the ESPN Plus model for their distribution because I, I'd watched some Sun Belt games last year. Um, I'm a bit of a closet Georgia Southern fan. 
Plus, you know, it's just fun to watch football. But I don't really think if I can justify $5 a month to necessarily watch Sunbelt games. Well, I mean, that's the thing, is it's kind of a, well, if it's on, I'll watch it situation, but I'm never going to pay 5 bucks a month just to watch Texas State play Georgia Southern, or Texas State play Georgia State, for goodness sake. Like, I got better things to do with my time and money. I may, I One may. One thing I will say is that I, I kind of like what the Sun Belt did here because if if I'm a fan of a Sun Belt team, um, you know, in, or any G5 conference for that matter, uh, ESPN Plus makes a lot of sense because it's five bucks a month. And, you know, like, for instance, if I knew I could get every single Georgia Tech game for five bucks a month on my phone, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would even consider canceling cable for it. I, I think that's that's a really smart move in that sense. And um, I, I like the ESPN Plus model for what they are, is that it's cheap and you don't get, you know, the big-time games. You don't get, you know, I mean, you get an MLS game, an NHL game, an MLB game every single day while the season's on, which you're not going to get the best ones. You're not going to get the, the prime times. But, you know, if you're... A sports fan who just likes watching sports in general, I, I think it's a great model, and I think it's a good fit for a G5 conference like the Sun Belt that um, is also trying to completely rebrand themselves like they are in 2018. Yeah, I, I can see that. I guess it's find your niche is kind of one thing they're looking for. And I think a couple of these are actually fairly large schools, so there may be the alumni base that's out there necessarily that's willing to do this. And I've actually kind of shot myself in the foot. I may pay $5 for the month of August so I can watch Kennesaw State beat Georgia State. <laughs> because that is easily worth $5 to me. What is with your hate for Georgia State? They know what they did. Okay, fine. No. I mean, I guess my thing is if they... The problem that I have with this is that you're looking at fan bases that are more than likely split with other organizations. Like, a lot of these teams are not purely getting fans for their school like you would see at you know an Alabama or even a Georgia Tech or a uh, maybe even an NC State or something like that a lot of these guys are already cheering for multiple schools so now you got to decide well is it worth it to divvy up my attention uh, between these extra schools knowing that I got to pay five bucks just to watch the school I went to you know, well, maybe I should rather watch the team I know is going to be successful. I think you hit on a good point there, and I'd be willing to bet a lot of, you know, we probably know the most, having been in Georgia, about Georgia, Georgia Southern or Georgia State fans. But I do know that a lot of, at least at Georgia Southern, I know a ton of Georgia Southern students are University of Georgia fans. That's who they're fans of. They just chose not to go to school there for whatever reason and went to Georgia Southern, but they don't check that southern or that georgia fandom at the door they just see it as why well, can be a southern fan and a georgia fan exactly and i think you really hit on a point where i mean i'm sure troy and south alabama probably deal with the same issues with auburn and alabama where someone's an alabama fan or an auburn fan and they go to troy and so like oh you know i can be an auburn and a troy fan well and it is a little different when your team is competing where it's like we're potentially you got two teams, in the, or two, maybe three teams in this conference that stand a chance, but nobody else is really playing for anything. Potentially we make a bowl game. I don't think you're going to see a lot of people going out of their way 
to pay an extra money to watch that. Now, if they win the conference, that's a good thing. But nobody, the no one in this conference is a dark horse to make the playoff. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of people jumping on these bandwagons. That again, that's just my opinion on the matter. So. With that in mind, we do need to start talking about it. Uh, Tommy, I'm, I'm going to let you get started. We'll start off in the East. What, can, what do you got for me out of the Sun Belt? So um, kind of very quickly before I jump into that, the, the Sun Belt, is, like I mentioned, uh, is rebranding itself um, this year. So they actually had two teams leave uh, in New Mexico State which is decided to become an independent, and Idaho, uh, which is dropping down to the FCS level. Um, they were dropped because they were football affiliate members and not full members. So um, basically the conference is saying you're a full member, get out, uh, which I think is a smart move for them in the long run, really solidifies the members they have, that kind of thing. Um, and the second thing they're doing is dropping, since they dropped from uh, 12 to 10 teams they've split into two divisions now so we have an east and a west uh, division and the much more interesting division I get to cover which is the east uh, the reason it's more interesting is because Troy and App State are in that um, there are three teams uh, if you're going to watch uh, the Sun Belt worth watching um, and Troy and App State are two of them which means the other one is alone in the West Division, able to wreak havoc. Um, <clears throat> what makes it even more interesting is I, I really think uh, Arkansas State uh, is probably going to win the conference. Um, it's probably the best of the three, just because they have their returning quarterback. They're not trying to fill that gap and uh, kind of restart their offense in that regard. Um, Troy and App State have a little bit more um, of question marks since they are trying to return um, after four-year starters have graduated for them. Uh, as far as which team is going to get the edge, really I, I think what it comes down to is the fact that uh, Troy does have to play um, Arkansas State and App State dodges them as far as cross-conference play. Um, and I think that's really going to hurt them. Uh, so I think App State is actually going to come out on top of this. Uh, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, the other three in there. Uh, Georgia Southern uh, is in a basically complete rebuild. Um, and Coastal Carolina um, is also rebuilding with a relatively new coach um, and uh, a new philosophy there. So they're both programs that are kind of rebuilding themselves uh, almost from scratch. Uh, Georgia State is a little bit more interesting to look at um, in the sense that they came out of nowhere um, last year. Nobody thought they would do anything, and they ended up going 6-1 and one their, the first stretch of their games in the season. Um, they ended up 7-5 and five in the season, so it didn't really end on the highest note, but uh, they, they did have a really good stretch in there. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just... think they're going to end up going 5-7 and seven this year, uh, which means that <clears throat> the only that only Troy and... Uh, App State are going to end up being bowl eligible. Um, but if there is that uh, next team to actually make it, I think Georgia State is the one that will do it. 
Sorry, just every second you were talking about Georgia State, I'm looking at Andrew's face, and he's just getting grumpier and grumpier. Just like, ah, oh, uh, Are you good on the East, Tommy? Is that everybody? Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot more. I, I mean, if you actually watch it, the, the interesting thing uh, for Georgia State, just to keep talking about it because I know Andrew loves uh, this, <laughs> is they're playing in old Turner Field, old Brave Stadium. So uh, it will be interesting to see how they decided that was a good idea and what that uh, stadium is going to look like for them if you didn't watch them last year. So did, did they not get allowed to play in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Because if so, that would have been a huge boost for their uh, ticket sales. I know they own uh, Turner Field now, and actually if, as you drive by, it's it's completely branded for them. Um, they did a major overhaul. They, they moved in the stands to make it more um, – football shaped less of the the rounded triangle look and more of the oval it's still you can still tell it was a baseball stadium and they retrofitted it um but it is definitely georgia state stadium and that's all that area is used for now turner field has really come a long way since the olympics in 1996 i can't believe we're still getting such good use out of that thing well, Andrew, we just covered the East. A lot of it went over my head. I, I think there were some words in there. Uh, why don't you tell us about the West? I wanted to talk about the East, too. Fine. Talk about, talk about the East. So, Coastal is one that's really interesting to me because their head coach, Joe Moglia, is a really fascinating guy. He is a guy who, when he first graduated from college, kind of bounced around a little bit coaching you know here there an assistant here an assistant there you know not really a lot of stuff he then um got out of coaching in 1983 and decided to go to work for merrill lynch um he then became the ceo of ameritrade (laughs) td ameritrade and obviously made a lot of money um, in 2008, he's also he, the current chairman of the board there. Yes, that's a heads up. He's still making a lot of money. Retired in 2008, uh, was an assistant at Nebraska, spent some time in, I believe, it was the USL, and Coastal hired him in 2012. And if I remember correctly, during his interview at Coastal, he basically told them, "You can raise money if you want, but if we need something, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to pay for it." So he paid for that fancy new field that they have. Is that what I'm hearing? I believe so. And he's actually gone 51 and 15. So he's put together a good record. Last year, unfortunately, he took a year off due to some health problems, uh, which pushed Jamie Chadwell into being the head coach. Chadwell actually had come over from Charleston Southern hmm. and had put together a pretty good program at Charleston Southern. They just had a really Really bad year last year. Chad Chadwell's an interesting one to watch because he's a he's a shotgun option guy, which is a lot of what he ran at Charleston Southern. Right. And actually was talked about as a head coach option at Georgia Southern once or twice. Both when they let uh, when Fritz when Willie Fritz left, as well as when Tyson Summers was fired. So I think Coastal's going to be an interesting one to see if they can. Kind of rebound with a little more stability. Chadwell back into his just offensive coordinator mode. They did have to bring in a new D.C., so that'll be pretty interesting. But that, that's my Coastal Carolina spiel. Well, we were actually going to talk about Coastal Carolina in a second, but do you want to 
Are you good now? Can we talk about the West? Well, I didn't, really, I didn't know we were coming back to him. I'm sorry. Well, when we talk about don't the, hit me. When we talk about the West, what we really mean is, can we talk about Arkansas State now? Right. Yeah, Arkansas State. I think Tommy really hit the key point. There are three teams that, for all intents and purposes, matter in this conference, and Arkansas State's the one in the West. And I agree with them. They, in my mind, they have to be the favorite. Blake Anderson's actually been there the longest. They had a stretch of four coaches in four years. Gus Malzahn, Hugh Freeze, Brian Harson all left yeah. after a year. And they brought in Blake Anderson, who was Larry Fedora's offensive coordinator at UNC. But it does go to show how successful they've been. It is. They've changes. been a very consistent program. And I think this year will definitely be, you know, a rebound. As much as you can rebound from a 7-5 and five year. They're, they're a team, you know, Justice Hansen, the quarterback's back, who was a Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year last year. They get two experienced receivers back, as well as they get two transfers. Dehu Green, a 6'5 transfer from Oklahoma, and Kirk Merritt, uh, a kind of smaller athletic slot back from Texas A&M. So they just kind of take the talent they have and added some basically high D1-level players yeah. that just didn't pan out. You know, the defense is going to be the question. Some about player of the year, Javon Roland-Jones is gone, who was their kind of pass-rushing defensive end, lost an all-conference cornerback, some linebackers, you know. One of the greatest names on the defensive line ever, a guy named D-Liner. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he <laughs> who, played for Arkansas who, who State. Who plays defensive line. I mean, that is absolutely perfect. But, yeah, they, they should be the team. Unfortunately, they have to go to Alabama week two. God God bless you, Arkansas State. But every other win, they play App State in October, but they get them at home, and they don't have to play Troy. And looking at their schedule, there's a legitimate chance that Arkansas State could go 12-1 and this year. I mean, every game on the schedule is winnable. I think they can beat Tulsa and UNLV in southeast Missouri. I mean, they may be a team whose only loss is to Alabama. It's hard to say because, I mean, we're really selling out on App State and on uh, the other team in the East who's Troy. Really yeah, Troy. You know, those guys who beat LSU last year. But, uh, I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say they do have by far the strongest uh, option available. So, Tommy, I let Andrew kind of have his spiel on Coastal Carolina because he wanted to talk about them. Do you have any teams in the West that you want to talk about? The only other team um, to look for in the West is going to be Louisiana Monroe. Not to be uh, confused with the other Louisiana team uh, in the West and um, the University of Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Um, ULM is probably the team that has the best shot at beating um, Arkansas State and potentially taking the West. Um, the The biggest thing for them uh, is that they uh, they're returning eight starters from their offense uh, that averaged uh, just under thirty four points a game last year. Uh, so a, a pretty prolific scoring offense. Um, their their quarterback Caleb Evans is coming back. Uh, he uh, was throwing uh, over 275 yards a game. Um, and then Marcus Green is one of the nation's top all-purpose um, threats. They, they use him a lot, uh, not just for downfield passes, but for uh, for screens and for reverses and stuff like that. So um, definitely an interesting 
place there. Their biggest question mark is obviously their defense. Uh, they were uh, allowing up to like 40 points a game last year, uh, which is uh, abysmal would be a compliment to that. So if they can uh, shore that up a little bit, maybe get some new blood in there that's uh, can, <clears throat> can help um, patch that up. They, they have a shot at actually beating Arkansas State. Um, it's a little bit of a long shot, but even if they do, I, I just don't see them winning enough of the, their, their other games to actually take the conference. Uh, so you're giving them a puncher's chance, basically, but it's hard to say. I mean... Yeah, I mean, they're just as likely to beat Arkansas State as they are to lose to Louisiana or South Alabama. Um, I'm not going to say there's really a chance of them losing to Texas State, but... Uh... That's fair. Speaking of Texas State, okay, well... Andrew, I told you we were going to come back to Coastal Carolina. You kind of blew the gun on that one. I was going to have them in my uh, best of the worst segment, but clearly, based on what you just said, they don't deserve to be there at all. So instead, we're going to talk about the other programs. We got Texas State, we got South Alabama, we got Georgia Southern, and we've got Georgia State. So, Andrew, I'll start with you this time. Who do you got as the best of the worst? Um, as always, Andrew's given me that, uh... Can I, can I pick none of the above? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm gonna go with, I think, South Alabama. I think they, they've got, they've got a new coach who came from Central Arkansas, put together two pretty good seasons at Central Arkansas, had to pick a quarterback. Um, the senior, Dallas Davis, apparently left. They, it doesn't actually say, like, he transferred or he graduated, it just says left. <laughs> so he just got fed up. I think he just was tired of living in Mobile and decided I just, to, I don't know, run off of the Caribbean sailboat. I don't blame him. I drove through Mobile you know, once. I never wanted what? to go back. That's the story we're going to go with. He <laughs> dropped out of the school so he could become a modern-day pirate in the Caribbean. <laughs> I would not be shocked. Sounds true. So Cole Garvin won the starting job by default. Because I think he might have been the only one they had. He did actually play a good bit last year, uh, threw for fourteen hundred yards. You know, his, the they get a top receiver back in Jamarius Way. They've got a really big tackle, six five, three fifteen. It's a big dude, Noah Fisher. <laughs> I, was, I, thought, I don't know his name. I just know he's big. He's a big man. He's a big man. They did lose Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year, Jeremy Reeves, but they've got a safety and a linebacker coming back are pretty good. Cornerbacks, you know, it's always questionable. Got a lot of JUCO guys, which is always kind of interesting at this lower level. I think it's someone you see them recruit a lot, especially the, the Mississippi JUCO programs that play a huge role in a lot of things. Um, and they've had six straight non-winning seasons, which sounds strange because for some reason in my mind, I thought South Alabama used to be good. USA. Yeah, USA. <laughs> so... You know, bowl game might be too far of a stretch. They have to play Louisiana Tech, Oklahoma State, Memphis. I mean, again, all they have to do, uh, Tommy, I'm stating this just. And so they you... get App State, Troy, and Arkansas State. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if South Alabama's got enough to to make a bowl game anywhere. Well, and again, I'm clarifying this for Tommy as well. This is not who we expect to make a bowl game. This is not who we expect to do. You so know, this... good on the year. This is just. Out of these teams, 
who do we think is going to do the best? So this is like, even if they win three games, it'll be an improvement over the compared to the yeah, other so teams. Go ahead. I'm actually going to take this one. Uh, unless you are you done, Andrew? Do you want to keep talking? No, nah, we're good to go. Hit it. Say. Hit it, Tommy. Yeah, so I'm going to take this from a different way, and I'm going to say uh, who's going to improve the most uh, year over year since all these teams really need to improve. And I think uh, with the bar as low as it's set at Texas State, uh, you got to go with them. Um, a, a couple things to keep in mind, like when we're, when we're ragging on Texas State, it's, it's really kind of not fair to the program to be do this because um, their coach, Jason or uh, Everett Withers, uh, he's entering his third year. Um, and at the start of last year, he didn't have uh, 40 non-freshmen on the roster. Um, and he didn't even have 65 scholarship players total starting last year. Oh, Just to kind of keep in mind, 85 is the limit. So they're more than 20 players down from where they should be. Um, and <laughs> Good Lord. You know, that, that's just, like, um, awful to deal with. Uh, so if you think about that, taking over from in his first uh, year two years ago was really a year zero. Um, and really, he's got so much that he's had to do and put in place that winning just isn't really on their radar or their um, the, the plan. It's more, you know, sucking less uh, is the most polite way I have of putting it. Um, but they did do that. Um, they made a, a, a bunch of big stat jumps from being dead last in defense to 95th uh, in his second year, um, which is a, a marketable jump for the amount of players that they have or more accurate, the, the amount of scholarship players they're missing to finish 95th just shows you how bad some of the other teams are and how big of a jump they made. Um, you know, he's won four games in these first in his first two years. Um, I, I think if they win four games this year, um, that would be a huge success for them, um, considering they're still not at 85 scholarship players. Um, they're I think they're sitting at 75 right now, so they're getting there. I think they're a year out from really starting to solidify themselves in this conference and be not even necessarily a dark horse, but, you know, a, a middle table team, not not a punching bag team anymore. Uh, so um, look for them to, to potentially get um, some wins against the, the Georgia schools or Southern Alabama. Um, and – the other thing to keep in mind is last year they almost beat App State. I, I think they actually had a lead in the third quarter and dropped it. Um, I, I have to go back and double-check exactly what happened. But um, this is a team that has uh, a lot of youth, so they're not going to be losing a lot of players um, this year or next year. Um, and they've got a lot of potential to really build something um, at that school. Well, dang it. Now Tommy's got me being a Texas State fan. I, I don't know how to feel about this. He's working me into a frenzy. I'm, I I, I kind of want them to have a like ESPN 30 for 30 now about bringing this program back. But, yeah, I mean, that's a legit argument. If they win four games, they could still have more wins than uh, University of South Alabama and Georgia Southern uh, based on the way things are developing right now. All right. Well, that's the end of the Sun Belt discussion. Now we move on to those special teams that stand alone. We have the Independents. 
This year, there's been a lot of phasing in and phasing out. So we currently sit at six independents, depending on how you count them. <clears throat> uh, so there is Army, BYU, Liberty, UMass, New Mexico State, and Notre Dame. So, which could be argued as an ACC team. I, I think one of us is going to make that argument. Uh, so I guess to kick it off, guys, in the past, uh, the top three of these teams have clearly been BYU, Army, and Notre Dame. Uh, and that's kind of interesting to say because Army came out of nowhere over the past three years and has really come up in the world. BYU's kind of been falling apart. Which of these programs should we expect the most out of? And I'll start with you, Tommy. Independence. I, I think BYU is probably going to be the team to look for, but I also have a history of thinking BYU is better than they are. They uh, they like to kind of let me down. Every I mean, year. so to be fair, that's kind of how the coach. That's kind of how the AP poll feels about Notre Dame. Every year, I see them in the top twenty-five, and I'm like, they're not that good. Yeah, but. Yeah, I, I am the AP poll, but for BYU, I, I think they've got some they've got some pieces to do something really well. Um, We're talking about BYU this still. year and BYU, yeah, and uh, Satake, um, and I don't know if I've ever said his name right. Uh, their coach, he's entering his third year um, after Brink, Bronco Mendenhall left uh, for Virginia, and. Uh, that's a hard act to follow because uh, Bronco really had BYU uh, doing what they did best um, and brought in a lot of really good players and everything. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing that the biggest piece to it to me is if you break BYU's game into um, almost half, like your their first eight games versus their last five games, they went from going one and seven to three and two. Um, which shows to me that they're starting to kind of grow into themselves and um, build a culture around what they're trying to do. Um, so I'd look for them to really kind of take a step forward, go back bowling this year, um, and, and have a, a couple a couple fewer big-time mistakes like they had last year. Um, maybe hold on to the ball a little bit better and uh, look for their defense not to give up the big plays. As much as they did. Okay. Well, next up, I'm kind of worried about asking you this question because I'm I'm feeling like it's just going to turn into talking about Army for the next 30 minutes. But Andrew, same question: who who are we looking out for out of the independents this year? Well, I'm gonna assume that Tommy says we're not allowed to talk about Notre Dame. So I don't know, Tommy. What's your stance? It's not my turn to talk. <laughs> Uh, you heard him. You got the talking stick. Oh, no. I hate talking about Notre Dame. <laughs> well, you know, they won 10 games last year. So, you know, uh, it's funny. It's crazy, too, because... They lost the one that we, matters to us. Of course they did. We talk about Notre Dame being this, being that. I mean, their past five years have been 9-4, and 8-5, and 10-3. and three. They had a really bad 4-8 and eight in 2016. They went 10-3 and three last year. Like, I get it's, it's Notre Dame. But that's a pretty good five-year stretch with one blip in it. 
I also didn't realize that Brian Kelly's been in Notre Dame for nine years. Yeah, that's surprising. That really kind of caught me off guard. I didn't realize he'd been there that long. I, I think it's just they can't think of an excuse to fire him at I, this I, point. Well, I think they wanted to, and he went 10-3 and three last year. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, that's that's the problem is they wanted to fire him, and he, he went 10-3. and three. It's really tough to get rid of a guy going 10-3. and three. Notre Dame's got a bunch of guys coming back. Their biggest question offensively is at running back. They lost a lot, and I think they – they had a guy kicked out in the offseason as well, if I remember correctly. You know, they, they, they play a pretty tough schedule, kind of. They open with Michigan. They play Stanford. They play Florida State. They play USC. Oh, they play at Northwestern. That will be neat. You know, they, they, they play they also, at Virginia Tech. They play Navy. They do. Uh, they play Navy um, October 27th. So, Notre Dame will be an interesting one. You kind of get that big matchup week one against Michigan to kind of decide. They play Navy in San Diego, California, by the way. Cool. And they play Syracuse in, it says Bronx, New York. Does that mean they're playing at Yankee Stadium? I, I can, think, can someone answer that question? I, I think they did. I think they brought that game back. Um, yeah, it is. They will be playing at Yankee Stadium. Um, that's what you could do if you're Notre Dame. Also, I think Notre, Northwestern, I don't think it's this year, but they're planning on having another game at Wrigley Field in the next few years. I don't know. So, complete takeaway from that. I don't know if you watched the last game at Wrigley Field, but if I remember correctly, they actually had to do it to where all offensive drives had to go the same direction. Yeah. Because there wasn't enough depth in the end zone on one of them. Yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> they were afraid they were going to hit the brick wall. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so maybe we should stop playing football games in baseball stadiums? Uh, I talked to Georgia State about that. They at least renovated it. Like, uh, Okay, whatever. But yeah, Notre Dame, I think, will have a chance to be... I don't know if they'll necessarily be a double-digit win team. Again, they do have a lot of talent coming back, but they lost a bit as well. And I really have a lot of – like Tommy hit on it. I have a lot of trouble putting faith in Notre Dame when they're expected to do something. They really are a team that kind of don't meet a lot of your expectations. I think that's why last year they're going 10-3 and three was good is they're coming off a 4-8 and eight year. So that's – I don't know. There, there, are some, there are some tough games. You know, Notre Dame, at least you give them credit, they do usually play a pretty tough schedule. Well, Notre Dame is always an interesting team because I don't – so much of their schedule, it, because they're independents, is dependent on, you know, w- which teams are we expecting to be good this year? Is Stanford going to be good this year? Yes. Is Michigan going to be good this yes. year? You know, are Navy going to be good this year? Yes. You know, so I think As this – As is Florida State and USC. Th- I don't know about Florida State, actually. I think they'll be fine. I mean, they'll be good. I don't know that they'll be great. Ride or die, Willie Taggart! <laughs> but anyway, thanks for waking up my neighbors, asshole. Uh, <laughs> Bro, it's, it's 8.45. Anyway, um, the point being is uh, it just depends on how those guys perform. Because like when Stanford was really struggling last year when they played Notre Dame, it made Notre Dame look not as talented, which is a hard statement to say. I... I've always kind of been – I got a hard time dealing with Notre Dame because, it, like I said, it feels like the AP poll is always sucking their dick and I just get fed up with it. Uh, but, you know, part of that is because I come from a Bama family and I've seen them get screwed over by that kind of stuff before. So, I don't know. Tommy, uh, I know this is technically not your favorite – <laughs> not a independent program, but do you have any comments on the Notre Dame situation? Ask me when we cover ACC, and I'll give you my opinions on Notre Dame. 
Okay, fair enough. All right, so I'm done talking about Notre Dame because it makes me angry. Andrew, tell us about Army. Yay! So Army won their first Commander-in-Chief trophy since 1996. Woo! Go Knights. You know, 10-3, and three, which is fantastic. So we look at the five-year window for Army, 3-9, and 4-8, and 2-10, and, and then 8-5 and five and 10-3. and three. Jeff Munkin's done a really good job of building that program into into respectable. You know, I'm not sure if Army's a team that'll compete for national titles, but respectable, making two bowl games. Oh man, they beat San Diego State last year. That was pretty cool. <laughs> In the Armed Forces Bowl, go Army! Did did you not? Yeah, dude, they actually did really well. A lot. Again, they did surprisingly well last year. I'm looking forward to see what they do this year. Yeah, they led the, they led the nation in rushing, obviously. Well, because we, we yards. Were, so yeah, uh, somebody had to. There's a really cool. I think it was the Athlon Sports Preview for this fall. Did a neat article on, and I want to make sure that I got this. Get this correct. I believe Army only attempted twenty passes last year. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and Athlon did a really neat examination of all twenty of them. Which was really kind of cool and kind of lighthearted and, and fun to look at. They've got to replace their quarterback, which is going to be the big question, especially in an offense like this. Ahmad Bradshaw is gone. They're replacing him with Luke Langdon, a, a senior. That's the one thing you'll see a lot about the academy teams is they're usually really old teams. A lot of seniors, a lot of juniors, not as many sophomores and younger players. Well, and we did talk about this earlier, a lot of that plays into some of the exemptions that Army has to get, you know. Our Army is in a very interesting situation being a service academy, how their players uh, are there and gone very quickly. Yeah, and so Army, Army doesn't redshirt. What they do do is they, they will send kids to the prep school for a year, which is kind of the same thing but a little different. And then Army players are out in four years. I mean, you get four, and that's it, and, and you're on to your service commitment. Right. You don't yeah. have a choice in the matter. They also have a much smaller enrollment than yes. most other schools. They do, though. One thing that's fairly interesting is if you start diving into the actual NCAA rulebook in, in a lot of the recruiting sections, just about every single rule for football has a service academy exemption caveat just because they're so different in how they operate. You know, everyone at a service academy is on scholarship. So, hypothetically, they have an infinite number of scholarships they could offer, which is why if you look at a recruiting class for an academy, it's 40-plus kids because everyone's on a scholarship. So, it's they just bring in as many as they try to bring in and go Who's, from there. Yeah, who stays, stays. Yeah, goes, and, goes. and you can see a lot of their rosters online are significantly bigger. Most, most D1 programs, 115 to 120, 125 players, 85 scholarship players. But Army, you'll use Army, Navy, Air Force, the academies, you'll usually see a lot more as well. But back to Whipson. They got a lot of their running backs back Darnell Wolfolk, Andy Davidson, Kel Walker, Jordan Asbury, all averaged more than five yards per carry last year. Now, I think they do need a new quarterback. Though. They do. Uh, like I said, it's probably going to be Luke Langdon, okay. is the guy that's the, the favorite to win the job. Defensively, I got a lot of good experience at linebacker. You know, they've got some tough early games. They open up at Duke on a, on a Friday night, which we may try to go to. I'm so shocked that people think that – well, okay. 
I understand that people think Duke is going to win that game. I'm just shocked at the percentages. Like, yeah, I mean, Army beat them last year. Beat them 21 to 16. I don't know, and they were pretty dominant. I mean, Duke made a comeback at the end, and that's why it looks close. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, Duke, Duke really struggled in that game. The Army defense really came to play, which was, was an interesting in that game. At least in the first half, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was 21 to 10 at halftime, and then Duke scored six points in the fourth to make it – not twenty-one to ten. But yeah, other than that, who <laughs> they, who else they got? Is it uh, Oklahoma? Yeah, they? they play at Oklahoma. They play at. No, they don't play at San Jose State. No, that's that. that's it. They play at Buffalo, which again, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm oh, high on. I'm high on at the Bulls. Buffalo. Okay. You know, um, obviously they've got the Air Force game on November the third, and then Army Navy in Philadelphia on December the eighth. I mean, honestly, I mean, though, most of those are, in my mind, are coin flips. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the Oklahoma game is going to be a train wreck. But every other game on their schedule, I at least think they have a chance. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I definitely think that Army has a chance to win a lot. I mean, you know, they could – if the quarterback clicks early, they've, they've got a chance to, again, win the CNC and continue to build. And there has to be an athletic director out there smart enough – to say, I want to win games, I should hire Jeff Munkin. They will eventually. I mean, just as... Don't smack the fucking table. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. Wait for PJ to retire. What'd you say? Wait for PJ to retire. Actually, that wouldn't be a bad deal. I don't, I don't disagree opinion. with you. The only thing is that Jeff Munkin is already 51 years old. He's older than I thought he was. So he's not the co- he's not as old as the coach for the Ohio Bobcats. He is no Frank Solich, my man. Oh my god! But no, I I I really am hopeful for Army, and I'm also hopeful that you will go see the game at Duke with me, and that I will be wearing a horse head, and you will be wearing a armored helmet. But I know that's not true, so we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> Why the horse head? Why not the horse god, head? God, where did I go wrong? <laughs> I don't know. You you have terrible choices making friends. So let's talk to another one of your friends. Uh, Tommy, uh, do you have anything to say about Army and any other teams that we got that are independents? Um, actually, yeah. I wanted to talk about our newest addition to the FBS this year, uh, an independent in Liberty. Um, and just let that sink in for a minute. Liberty came from FCS to FBS without joining a conference. Uh, which is unheard of and thought impossible. Um, but we'll talk about why that's the case in a minute. First, uh, kind of looking at Liberty and what to expect. Um, Liberty really, uh, in a lot of ways, belongs in the Big 12 uh, in the sense that in half of their games last year, uh, one team scored more than 42 points. That could be Liberty. That could be their opponent. Really depends on the game. It could actually be both, as was the case when they beat Baylor uh, last year. Uh, so uh, look at them to have a, they have a big wide receiving core. Um, the the core of which the Calvert, Gandy, Golden, and Duff are are the three. Uh, kind of core guys uh, that will be uh, in the place. They're guys that they're going to have to replace uh, next year, but uh, they're coming back. They should be good. Uh, a lot of big, tall, fairly fast guys. They like to sling the ball. Um, they like to score a lot of points to the air. 
their pass defense last year was um, pretty impressive. They only gave up a 53.6% completion rate, which for a team that, you know, on a regular basis gives up 42 points is pretty uh, impressive. Um, But they really are underproducing on uh, their interceptions. Uh, They they just don't have a lot of turnovers. Um, Their defense had... uh, about half the uh, the uh, rate of, in the FBS for um, interceptions to pass breakups. Um, they should have had, based off of the numbers, around 14 to 15 interceptions last year, but they ended up with only seven. Uh, so you can look at that as kind of something that, uh, um, as Andrew talks about a lot, turnovers are not a consistent um, stat to go off of. You, you can't really produce turnovers you can't really uh control them um and everything pretty much always goes back to the mean so um they they have a chance at doing some pretty good things if they can kind of work on uh their consistency there and if they can shore up um their run defense uh which gave up five and a half yards of carry last year um then they actually have a, a shot at doing some good things they have a chance at going bowling this year um, they've got Norfolk State as their FCS opponent on the schedule, um, but outside of that, and there's no real clear easy wins. Potentially Idaho State, potentially Old Dominion, potentially New Mexico State, um, and potentially UMass um, are all uh, fairly winnable games for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do play at Virginia, they do play at Auburn, um, and they do play at Army, which are just, you know, you can pretty much write that off for them right now uh, as losses. So uh, when you look at them, they have a good chance of going bowling, but it, it would be kind of a stretch. Uh, if you go by their uh, S&P rankings and win uh, probabilities, uh, there's only three games that they're actually above 50%, so it, it would take a lot of work, but I wouldn't say it's out of... Um, the realm of possibility. Uh, what's really interesting about Liberty uh, is if you know nothing about Liberty, um, their goal is to literally be to evangelical Christians what Notre Dame is to Catholics and BYU is to Mormons. Um, they were founded by a televangelist. Uh, their current president is the son of that televangelist. Um, they are private. Um, and they are entirely committed to becoming a big-time football school um, and really a big-time athletic school. And the way they do that is they have over 100,000 students that are all remote, so like tele-students. So they have a ton of money coming in that they don't have to provide any facilities for. Um, And what that means is that when they were looking to come up to the FBS, they were offering upwards of $20 million dollars to Conference USA and to the Sun Belt, uh, when the typical uh, expansion fee is two million. Holy! So crap. they were just ready to sling money. You serious? Um, also, yes. Also, they have a thirty million dollar indoor football facility um, that is more costly than Virginia Tech's <laughs> and is a full field with windows overlooking the mountains. Uh, they have a $20 million baseball stadium. 
a $10 million softball stadium, um, and they are pumping in more than $100 million in renovations to their stadium to put in luxury suites, lodge seating, and expand the seating from 19 to about 25,000 seats. I can see what that... Uh, so they're Let's literally see. throwing money at anything and everything. Um, they're looking to add a billion dollars to their endowment over the next decade. So, oh, my um, God. Oh. They're looking at a, a school in Liberty um, that, honestly, I would keep an eye on this school... Um, maybe not this year, but over the next three to five years, if they keep spending money like this uh, as a program in the state they are, um, they could start getting big-time recruits. Um, they could look at overhauling some of their coaching staff. They could really carve out a place for themselves. Um, and this is money that they are, you know, they've started slinging five years ago. So all of this spending is within five years. I mean, I guess it really um, it really goes to show what that evangelical base can do for you. I mean, you can't see it, but Andrew was kind of freaking out over here. Do you want to tell him what you were telling me? So to put it in perspective, Georgia Tech's indoor facility was $9 million raised through private donations. I mean, they tripled their spending yeah, on is, an indoor facility. This is an FCS-level school. You know, the other funny thing that I, I find about Liberty is they're actually playing a home-and-home home with New Mexico State this year. They will play them twice <laughs> <laughs> at New Mexico State in October and home to New Mexico State in November. What? <laughs> so Tommy kind of hit on it. Liberty does deal with oh my their, their Christian image ideals whatever you want to call it and a lot of that is why none of the conferences really wanted to do any business with them they were scared of the optics they were scared of dude i'm scared of them and we just <laughs> talked about them like five seconds ago to to be fair that is also allegedly one of the reasons that byu struggles with conference affiliation the pac-12 wants nothing to do with them again this is all hearsay well i mean Rumors. they were in the mountain west for a while i mean i don't know they bounce in and out. Notre Dame, for example. But, but well, again, I mean, you look at Notre Dame and BYU can be successful as independents because Tommy kind of hit on it. Notre Dame, they're the Catholic school, and they've got the tradition they have. And BYU's the Mormon school. Yeah, other um, than Utah. Well, Utah's not as Mormon. I mean, hey. I mean, population-wise, who knows? But, but in terms of the school itself, Utah is not Mormon. No, no, I get your point. Okay. And so it's just really fascinating because, I mean, I can remember growing up in Gainesville, Georgia, with like the three Mormon families that we knew, they were all BYU fans. Go figure. Yeah. It's also some of the nicest people. We played out there in 2009. No, 2013. And just some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. It was actually just kind of kind of a little weird. They were so nice. Like they made a tunnel for our players to walk through in BYU. And they're like, good, good, good luck tonight. Welcome to Provo. What? It's awkward. I don't like that. Another interesting thing about this team um, is that actually in this year, they're actually paying $2 million to other teams to come play them. And Liberty, as a brand-new FBS school, I mean, they announced their move to FBS in 2012 that they were intending on doing this. Um, so if you are a big-time Power 5 school, um, this is the type of school that I look at as a potential to say, hey, let's pay – to get them here 
Um, you know, in 2012, they weren't necessarily one of the greatest schools uh, in the FCS. Um, they've always been a, a good school, but not necessarily great. But if you could play a team with that gets you an FBS win, essentially, uh, you're the stereotypical cupcake, um, that's a team that I would look at paying. And Liberty is the one paying schools. They're paying a million dollars to Old Dominion, um, and they're paying Southern Miss and Marshall $500,000 each to come play against them. Um, so this is a school that is ready to play, that is ready to spend money, um, has a big base, like you said, with the evangelical Christians, if they can start uh, appealing to that audience. Um, and like I said, they have 100,000 tele-students that are just paying tuition and logging in on their computers from all over the country from home. There's no cost to that, just pure profit that they can just start pumping wherever they want because they're private and they don't have to rely on state for funding. I mean, part of me has got to respect it, but another part of me, I said, is like, the idea of all this is just mystifying. Um, I am kind of curious how the NCAA is going to rule on that if they win both matchups against New Mexico State. Like, how do you count that? Is it going to... I that, mean, technically, I guess it would be a an FBS win? Yeah, I mean, Twice? if you get six wins and you two of those wins are against New Mexico State, like, what I guess, do you do? I guess technically that would count. Now, they do play two... FCS programs in Norfolk State and Idaho State. So I think they'd actually have to win seven games because I don't think you can count both of those. Hmm. They only have to win six, but they can drop one of those two is what you're saying. Yeah. That's fair. (laughs) Well, I think if they win both of those, then they have to win seven. But if they drop one of those, then they only have to win six. six. So... All right, guys. I want to get us, guys. I want to get us back on topic because uh, this has turned. This has gone in a direction I did not expect. Just bringing up Liberty. Um, so I guess tis, tis a silly place. <laughs> so I guess the last two uh, we're gonna be our best of the worst. We got New Mexico State, which we talked about is playing Liberty twice, and UMass, uh, our best of the worst situation here. Who do we think is going to do the better of those two teams? Andrew, I'll start with you since you got the book open. Um, well, New Mexico State made a bowl game last year. Uh, I, but they did lose their three biggest playmakers from yeah, last season. Yeah, so, wasn't that like their first time in... Yeah, since like the 1960s. Damn. Um, UMass, their head... Wow, Mark Whipple's been there 11 years. It's a long time. He's 61 and 62 um, well, I'm just trying to look at the schedules. Uh, UMass has a more manageable schedule. They both play Liberty. <laughs> and as, <laughs> as, as we said, New Mexico State plays them twice. Um, that was going to be my point, is we, we actually have games to actually figure this yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> by the end of the season, we will know. In fact, we will definitely know who is better between New Mexico State and Liberty. <laughs> we will have a good idea. So what if the home team wins both times? Oh, no! Oh, no! Uh, in that case, Jello wrestling. That's the only way to solve it. Well, because you look at their schedules, uh, New Mexico State's got a more manageable schedule because UMass has to go to Boston College against South Florida 
at Georgia, BYU in Foxborough, at Ohio, at Florida International, at Georgia Psych. I want to say New Mexico State just because the schedule is somewhat more manageable. But, I mean, we're talking about, like, New Mexico State may win four games and UMass may win none or two. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. Where and, and if Mass does win two games, one of those could be New Mexico, Mexico. Liberty, which is another team we're talking about. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, if UMass wins one of those other games that we're talking about as a big upset, I mean, I, I think you've got to not look at the record, but look at what they've done. Yeah. Well, also, UMass, like you said, they are... I think what they're really doing is they're getting the most out of their frequent flyer miles because they are going all over the place, down, up and down the coast. So I don't, I don't know about that much from New Mexico State. Yeah, UMass is an interesting one to me because you almost feel if UMass would be better served doing like Idaho did. Oh, and just dropping down? Yeah. And going back down because it would give you some more natural rivals. You could play Delaware. You could play Rhode Island. I think that's it. You could play Maine. You could play New Hampshire. You could play... I don't know if Vermont has a team. Yeah, sure. You know, Stony Brook in New York. I mean, you could play some more local teams. You could join a conference. Yeah, the American... You know, the America's East. You know, they, know. they were kicked out of the MAC, I believe. Well, it sounds like if, if what I heard about Liberty is true, all they need to do is start a cult, and then their problems are solved. So, gosh. I mean, it works for Texas A&M. Not going not gonna to piss off any evangelicals. See, we can, we can say... Make a very clear distinction here that it is a very different type of cult at Texas A&M than it is. I was about to, I was about to say, I mean, we're allowed to call it a cult. That's the question. Like, you have 100,000-plus Liberty students. I mean, that's, that's bigger than Texas A&M student number-wise, but... I like to feel that Texas team thousand of those are on campus. I know, but so so that's my fear is like at least Texas A and M, they're pretty much constrained to Texas. <laughs> like we don't know who could be a Liberty student. Yeah, there could be one right behind us right now. I know. We don't know. <laughs> it could be you. <laughs> it could even be me. Oh no! No wonder I wake up in the middle of the night holding a school book. <laughs> I started speaking in tongues. This is the worst. Oh. Uh, I started handling some snakes. All right. Well, I want another excuse to talk about Liberty. I hope they give <laughs> us something fun to look at this season. Um, unfortunately, I, they don't really have a game for us to talk about in the week preview. Maybe against Army in the second week or Auburn in the next to last week. Or, depending on how the first New Mexico matchup goes, the second New Mexico are, matchup may be important. We are going to definitely talk about the New Mexico matchup. All right. New Mexico State. Also, I think we should keep an eye on their president for the next time he tells all the students on campus they need to carry guns. <laughs> no, the problem is we're not carrying enough guns. Uh, How can a good guy with one gun stop a bad guy with three guns? Get out more guns! I have more guns. Uh, we have we, just offended so many swaths of people. Remember, this is a college football podcast, so. All right. Not a Thanks. gun podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, this week uh, to us ramble on about liberty mostly. If you want to hear more, you can listen to us at Podbean or on iTunes. 
please give us a review on iTunes. Five stars only. We don't need any of the low stars. Good night, everybody. And have a